We're going through the Gospel of John, and uh, we're in chapter 5 uh, this morning. Uh, and so let me set the stage just a, a bit here. Uh, when I go watch a movie, I like certain movies and uh, other movies I don't like. And the ones I like are the ones where the good guys and the bad guys, not hard to tell the difference, is clear. Uh, I, I don't like it when you can't tell who the good guys are and the bad guys. And I like a movie that progresses and the good guys win. That's how it ends. I mean, that's the kind of movies I like. Today, it seemed like uh, they, they, they have all kinds of different movies. The Hobbit, you know, that was a cool one because you can tell who the bad guys are because of the ugly dudes. Uh, they don't even look like people. And so when they got their head cut off and stuck with a sword, yeah, bad guys are losing. End of the movie, bad guys are done, good guys are in charge. That's the kind of movie I like. So this scene this morning in John 5, Jesus talks through the whole passage that I'll be reading, and he's talking to the bad guys, the Pharisees. They're the ones that uh, persecuted Jesus. They're the ones who crucified him on a cross. They're the ones who were looking for a Messiah and missed him totally and f- resisted everything that he did at every turn. Uh, they, they, they were the problem, and so he's talking to them in this passage in John chapter 5. So let me read to you John 5, uh, verse 30 through 47. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth, but the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So we'll look at that passage in detail. And if you have your notes and your bulletin, we'll fill in the blanks as we go through this passage. Number one, the basic theme of the Gospel of John is how to have a true relationship with God that is growing more and more intimate. And so as we started in the beginning, John 1.1, and have gone through the book, and as we get to the end of it, uh, we'll find that everything that John writes, he is addressing the issue, how can you have a relationship with God that is real, true, genuine, and not simply intellectual assent to some uh, historical fact? Uh, That's a relationship that is growing and getting stronger. I trust the Lord with my life, but I would like to trust Him more. I love the Lord with... I would like to say with every fiber of my being, but I would, love to, I would like to love him more. 
I follow him, I obey him, I'm committed to serving him, but I would really, really want to serve him more. How do you grow in your relationship with God? That's what John writes about. John 14, 20, this passage is almost confusing. It's so intent and intense and concentrated in this whole relationship theme. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Uh, Jesus uses this term, in the Father, in Him, talking about closeness, intimacy. That I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. And so the Gospel of John addresses the issue, how to know God, be close to him, and have that relationship growing stronger all the time. Number two, the principles, the laws that apply to our relationship with God also are the same principles that apply in our relationship with each other. So when you learn how to have a growing relationship with God, you also learn how to have a growing relationship with your wife, with your husband, with your parents, with your kids with the person you work with, with your boss. The same laws that govern relationship with God govern relationship with each other. And John deals with these uh, through the entire book. In this passage this morning, he's going to be dealing with the key issue. First uh, John, what we have seen, he said, what we have seen when we were around Jesus and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship, intimacy with each other, fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Number three, the number one problem in relationships with God and people is our pride. Our pride is the problem with everything. Every sin that you commit is because of your pride. Every relationship problem you have is because of your pride. Every issue that you have with God is because of your pride. Pride is the soil of which every weed in our life grows out of. When uh, I came back from my bicycle trip across the U.S. and flew home from Portland, Maine, about halfway home on the trip, I started getting uh, sick. And uh, by the time I got to the airport, I had this severe, intense pain in my lower abdomen. And on the ride home, Patty picked me up. On the ride home, we stopped uh, regularly for me to vomit out the car, uh, door of the car. And by the time we got home, I was, uh, thought I was near dead. And she called, and we went into emergency, and as we were driving into the emergency uh, room at the hospital, I had one thing. I wanted them to discover what my problem was and fix it. You probably all have been involved with doctors and hospitals with similar kinds of things, different locations, but the same thing. What's my problem? What's wrong with me? And uh, that's what we want to have them to discover and then to fix it. So your problem... And mine is pride. Every, every, every issue we have in relationship is because of our pride. And these bad guys that were resisting Jesus and not receiving him and crucifying him, uh, their problem was pride and Jesus deals with it. Let me read to you again this passage. The Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name. You do not receive me. 
If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Now here's the key passage this morning. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. When you receive glory from one another, um, that is, we compare ourselves with others, we compete with others, we show off to others, we perform for others, we boast to others in an attempt to receive glory. Number four, we, have, we crave glory. We crave it. We desperately seek it in all the wrong places and all the wrong ways. We are created by God in His image and in His likeness, and we were created by God with glory. Incomprehensible, amazing, immeasurable glory was ours by creation, by birthright, because of who we are created by and who we are created like. But the first time we sinned, we lost it all. And now as we live our life, we have this vacuum in us. Uh, we crave glory. And everything we do is an attempt to fill that void, that glory void inside of us. I like to go up to Alaska and visit my son-in-law and daughter because my son-in-law takes me hunting. And uh, the very first time that we went up to see them after they moved up there, he and I, just the two of us, went hunting and we drove all the way up uh, to uh, the farthest you can go north on the, the, the Dalton Highway and, uh, and then we hiked in off the road where we parked five miles because the pipeline, Alaskan pipeline is along the road and you have to be five miles away before you can shoot a rifle. They don't want you shooting a hole in it. <clears throat> it's kind of expensive, uh, oil is. And, and so we had to hike and, and we we're on the tundra and it's the permafrost and in the summer we were there in late September, all the permafrost, much of it has thawed and so when you're walking on the tundra every step you sink in to this uh, mossy stuff about a foot and then you pull your foot out and then you take another step and so five miles is like whoa it's tough and back when I went I was quite a bit heavier than I am now and way way more out of shape than I am now and so by the time we got in there five miles I was close to dead uh, and so I had a pack on my son-in-law had a pack on and we got about a mile in, and he took my pack and put it in his pack and I was walking in with nothing uh, and that was so nice he's a tough dude and we got in and we camped the next morning we took off to hunt and he took everything uh, in his pack let me walk with just my rifle problem was is he was in quite a bit better shape way better shape and so pretty soon he was way off in front of me with everything in the pack and after about three hours I got really thirsty and he had the water and so I'm yelling at him and I'm waving at him I even shot my rifle Nothing. I mean, he is way off in front of me, and I got so thirsty that I couldn't even, <laughs> just, oh, I can already swallow. Well, I'm walking in water. I mean, all that permafrost is thawed, and it's just kind of marshy, but when you look at it, it was green and yellow, and it didn't look like water, but it had to be water, you know, because it was frozen, and it was ice, and it sort of mixed in with the, the grass, and it was probably fine, no problem. And so I got to the point where I couldn't stand it any longer. got down on my hands and knees and I blew, <laughs> blew the slime off the water as best I could and then took a big gulp. Oh, wow. I was craving water. And you're thinking, you drank that stuff. You would have drank it too. I mean, when you're thirsting to death, you drink it. Whatever it is, I drank it. And we're craving glory. We, we have to have it. We were created for it. 
And we seek it in all the wrong places. And the result of seeking glory from people is pride. Is pride. And it is the source, it's the soil of every problem that we have in our life. John 5.44 again, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory we were created with, we lose it. 1 Peter 1.24 creates a visual image. All flesh, that's us, you and I, we're like grass and all its glory is like the flower. The grass withers, the flower falls off. So there you are, a daffodil in the spring. It grows up beautiful flower, and pretty soon it dries up. Flower falls off. That's us. Our glory is left. It's gone. There's a void. There's a vacuum, and we will desperately seek it. And we seek it from people. And when we do, we will have relational problems, fights, arguments, and we will have problems in our walk and relationship with God as well. Number five, it is our pride that causes us to reject Jesus as our Savior. See, He gives us eternal life free. He does everything. You ever have somebody, you go out to dinner with somebody and they, they say, hey, I'll, 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 pay the, I'll pay for the meal. Okay, I'll pick up the, the I'll, I'll pay the tip. No, 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 that's fine. I'll pay the tip too. Okay, well, I'll pray. I'm a professional. <laughs> yeah, you know, I can do something. You, you pay, I'll pray. So we want to contribute. And so Jesus says, I'll pay the whole bill. You can't get to heaven on your own. I mean, not even a little bit. Nothing you do. I'll pay the whole thing. I have paid the price of your sin. All you have to do is accept the free gift. Believe what I did was for you and accept it personally by faith. See, in the core of our being, in this flesh, it's subconscious. We don't really, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want a free gift. I'm not going to go to heaven on a free bill. I think I can get there on my own. We don't really say that. We don't even think that, but it's there in the core of our being. And so when people stiff-arm Jesus, just like these Pharisees, it's not an intellectual thing. Uh, it's driven by pride. John 5 again, The Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Number six, it's our pride that, uh, of man that prompts us to invent all kinds of alternate, alternate ways to God other than God's one clear way. For 40 years of pastoring, I've had dozens and dozens, hundreds of discussions with people about God, about Jesus, about the Bible. Some of uh, the people I, I know, some I don't. Some have been here in the church, some have been in airport waiting rooms, next to people on planes, all kinds of discussions. The number one discussion of all the discussions I've had over the years, the topic that I've had a discussion with more than any other, in fact, more probably than the second, third, fourth uh, one put together is this whole issue of is there just one way to heaven? 
Really? I mean, don't you think that a person who's sincere as a Buddhist or a Muslim, I mean, don't you think that that counts for something? I mean, don't you think a person that's a good person? I remember over here in the kitchen, I read um, a verse to a guy and he got angry. How can you believe that Buddhists aren't going to heaven when they're so sincere? Um, John 14, 6, that was the passage I read to him. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said, that's so dogmatic. What my idea. We're talking God. He made you. He made the world. He made everything. He made heaven. He made hell. He made the rules. Uh, he's the one who's going to let you in or not. Kind of seemed like he could be dogmatic if he wanted to. So why is it that people have such a hard time accepting the fact that God can have one way? Well, it's not an intellectual thing. It's a pride issue. Let me read to you this passage again. The Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not, you do not, you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Uh, you're willing to believe all kinds of alternate ways to heaven. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Number seven, it's our pride that causes us to reject Jesus as our Lord and Master. We don't want anybody bossing us around, not even God. Uh, Patty, my wife, just had her birthday a couple of days ago, and we got married when I was 20, she was 21, and so we've been married for a long time. And uh, you know what she does still? Bosses me around. Tells me to turn the lights out, pack in wood, let the dog out. And I, and I tell her, hey, you don't have to tell me what to do. I know I'm supposed to do that. Quit bossing me around. Tells me where to turn. I mean, you'd think after all these years, she'd stop that. And you'd think after all these years, I'd kind of get over it. But it's still. <clears throat> That's just the way we are. That's the core of our being is pride. And we don't even like God bossing us around. We're not going to consciously sort of shake our fist in God's face and say, would you quit telling me what to do? I can run my own life. But subconsciously, that's a constant. Revelation 16, we're at the end of the book. And we're at the end of the world, as it were. And the very last thing that's going to happen in history is a seven-year period of time called the Tribulation. And that's where, I mean, you talk about global warming. That's where it gets really hot. Uh, this last seven years. The first three and a half years of the seven is natural disaster. Wars and famine and all kinds of bad things happen all back to back to back to back to back. And then in the middle of the seven years, there's an event that occurs where the heavens open up and every person on the planet Earth can see God on His throne. It's going to be kind of an amazing moment. 
And then the next three and a half years, every person's going to know exactly what's causing all the stuff that's happening. And it moves from natural to supernatural, and it's God caused, and everybody knows it. And so here's a scene, Revelation 16, 9. Men were scorched with fierce heat. They blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Like, wow. What is that? What's driving that? I will not have God to rule over me, uh, even in that situation. Now we think, I wouldn't do that, but what keeps us from growing in our relationship with God? What keeps us from getting closer to Him, more intimate with Him? Uh, it's this core issue of pride. Number eight is our pride that keeps us from loving God and others. Well, the essence of love is sacrifice, putting someone ahead of ourselves, their needs, their issues ahead of our own. And we would not want to put anything above ourselves, others or God. Now, again, we don't say it out loud. We don't say, hey, I'm first. I'm more important than any of you. We don't say that. And we would even kind of cringe hearing someone else say it, but at the core of our being subconsciously, that's sort of what drives us is number one, <clears throat> John 5 again, the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. You do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? <clears throat> Number nine, it's our pride that causes the conflicts that we have. And I don't know if you have conflicts in your life, but they're caused, every one of them, without exception, by the pride in us whether that's somebody you know or somebody you don't know, somebody that you're close with or somebody that drives by you on the freeway. Every conflict that we have is caused by our rights, our personal rights that are generated by our pride. In our culture, rights have gone to seed. And so we've got a whole bunch of these rights. And if somebody steps on them, violates them, uh, then we get angry and we defend them and we have conflict. Genesis 37, 8, Old Testament story about Joseph. His brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him. They hated him because of this uh, pride issue of someone being over us. Number 10, it is the pride of man that keeps him from being able to understand and receive the truth that is in the Bible. <clears throat> Now, if you've been in the church very long, one of the things you know is that almost every week without fail, I mean, there's a few exceptions, but not very many, I will say somewhere in one of my points, it might be the whole sermon, it might be five seconds, but somewhere almost every week I will say, you should read the Bible every day. I mean, how hard is that, really, to read the Bible every day? The Bible is the Word of God. It's supernatural. It's living. It's active. God blesses in like a hundred plus ways when we read his word, when we honor him by paying attention to it. We're not talking hours here. We just talk 15 minutes a day. How hard is it to do that? 
You know, I've come to the conclusion after 40 years of pushing that almost every week that it would, it would be easier to get you to brush your teeth 25 times a day. It would be easier to get you to stand on your head for 15 minutes a day. It would be easier to get you to get six tattoos than to talk you into reading the Bible 15 minutes a day. So is this a time issue? This thing that, uh, that we struggle with as far as reading the Bible 15 minutes a day. I know it's a core motivational issue, subconscious, but it's there just the same. The Bible is the Word of God. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. The Bible is the will of God for our life. And we, we don't... You know, it's... If the truth were known, I'm not going to read your stinking book. You don't say that. But that's the core issue, is our pride. And the Bible, that's the Word of God. It's the authority of God. That's what tells us what's right, what's wrong, how to live. And so we resist it, even though we don't consciously think it or say it. Uh, it's hard to get ourselves to read it. Uh, it's because of the pride that's in the core of our being. Even understanding it is tough. Again, John 5, the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Number 11, it's our pride that keeps us from being totally devoted to prayer. <clears throat> prayer is the ultimate act of humility. There's nothing that we do that more is an act of humility before God than praying. It's saying to God, apart from you, I can't, I can't do it. And so we come to God and we ask for help. And so if everything's going cool, job's great, health's great, marriage's great, kids' great, dog's uh, obeying, you don't pray. Why would you? You don't need anything. Uh, prayer is saying to God, I desperately need you, and I can't take my next breath without your grace and power in my life. God is the one who gives glory. He's the one who gives grace. And when we recognize that, we go to him. And, and so again, I say to you, you know, 15 minutes a day. How hard is it to give God just 15 minutes a day? To have a little book with prayer requests in it, people, family, neighbors, that you could pray for just 15 minutes every day. Um, we're going to have concert of prayer Tuesday night. And, uh, you know, for a month begging you, please come, please come. I would pay you $1,000 if I had it to get you to come. Why is it so tough? to get people to come to a prayer event. It's down the core of our being. Um, I can do it by myself. Second Chronicles 7.14 My people who are called by my name humble themselves. Humble themselves is something we do and pray. And uh, prayer requires us humbling ourselves and saying, I need God. I need all that He can do for me. Second Chronicles 33.12 Old Testament king was in big trouble. 
when he was in distress, he entreated the Lord, he prayed, he begged the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And prayer is the ultimate act of humility. Twelve, God uses humble people to do his work. God gives assignments. He does his work through people. Significant work that uh, blesses us because we know we're making a huge difference. And God gives it. He gives the assignments. He gives the open doors. He gives it to those who are humble. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does God require of you? What does God require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God, to walk humbly with your God. God uses those kinds of people. 13, the devil and his demons work 24-7 to get us to be prideful. And so they they tempt us by talking to us. They just kind of follow along chatting and we hear our thoughts and they'll say things like, whoa, that guy's ugly. Uh, I bet he's stupid too. You're way smarter than he is. You look better than he is. You could do a better job than he could. And so there's this criticism, comparison kind of thing that pops under our head all day long. Where does that come from? Uh, The devil knows what our flesh is like, what our sinful nature is like, and I mean, he will fuel that all day long. The devil was created by God, most powerful, most beautiful, in charge of all of his angels, and then he fell. Isaiah 14 describes that fall. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's what prompted God to kick him out of heaven. And now that's what he does to us. He tempts us to be prideful. 14, God will work in our experiences uh, to to attempt to make us humble. Got together with a group of pastors a number of years ago and just drinking coffee, hanging out, and we started talking and sharing our most embarrassing moments. And, I mean, there could be a incredibly successful television program, I think, based on the most embarrassing moments of pastors. I mean, oh, they were so funny. One dude fell in the baptistry. Uh, it was one of the ones where there was a cover on the thing and you walked downstairs in the, in the stage and he was talking and he, he didn't realize it. Boom, he fell right in the baptistry. Another guy did a wedding and he, he used the totally wrong names through the whole thing. I mean, and somebody preached a sermon with a zipper down. I, whoa, some... You know, some embarrassing moments are not funny, they're painful. Because they're so embarrassing and they're so humiliating that they are painful, and we, we hate those. God will on purpose bring those kinds of events into your life as he works on us to take and drive pride. Daniel 4 is a story of such an event. The king reflected, and this is the most powerful man on the planet earth, probably the greatest, most powerful kingdoms ever existed in the history of mankind. Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared glory has been removed from you. It's been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is the, is the ruler over the realm of mankind, bestows it glory on whomever he wishes. 
And so here is the most powerful man in the world, and he takes all his clothes off. He gets down on his hands and knees, and he starts eating grass like a cow. Now, when he came back to his senses and had coffee with a bunch of the local kings, I bet this was his most embarrassing moment. Uh, and God did it. And he works in our life, in our circumstances, because humility is what God prizes, what he blesses, and pride is what he resists. Fifteen, Jesus, even as infinite God, was the perfect example of humility. If you want to know what it means to live as a humble person, read the life of Jesus. Even in his conversation with these Pharisees, uh, he was humble. And so the question all day long, every day, is what would Jesus do? How would he act? Uh, how would he respond? My dad was in the Navy for 22 years, joined before the Second World War, went through the war, and so naturally when I was born, he was in the service, so I was in the service. We traveled all up and down the West Coast, moved constantly. Uh, 1960, when I was 12, he retired, and we moved to our first farm. We were there five years, moved from there uh, up to Trout Lake, Washington in 65. But this first farm was uh, 120 acres of poison oak and blackberries, and it was 13 miles out of town on a gravel road. There was only one farm beyond ours, and it was like dying and going to heaven living there. And the farm beyond ours were, were the family called the Woodruffs, and they had eight kids, and Hank was the dad. And Hank Woodruff knew the name of every deer in the whole area. He knew them on a first-name basis. He could catch fish in any stream, in any puddle of water. I mean, he was the most amazing hunter and fisherman as a 12-year-old boy, as a junior high boy. I mean, he could walk on water. I wanted to be like him. He had 12 hound dogs. Uh, he was amazing. I still today, when I hunt, I think about what Hank would do. When I clean a deer, I do it the way Hank did it. Uh, my daughter, Susanna, and uh, son-in-law Kyle just had a baby, and they named him Henry. And I said, can I call him Hank? And, and Hannah says, no, 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 Dad, we want to have, call him Henry. I said, okay. She says, you can call him Hank. So my grandson's name is Hank. He's my hero. Hank was. Jesus is the ultimate example for living life in every area of life. Philippians 2, 5 and 8 have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was God, creator of everything. He emptied himself, emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The God of the universe died, uh, took my sin, took my shame upon himself. 16, God gives grace and glory to those who humble themselves. So, I crave glory, you crave glory, we uh, will do anything to get it. And the, the legitimate, the effective, the right way is to say, God, you give glory, you exalt, you give worth, you give value. Who do you give it to? It's not performance. It's humility. When we humble ourselves before God, He exalts us. When we humble ourselves before people, He gives us glory. And so the natural way is 180 degrees off of God's way. We exalt ourselves. 
God says, you humble yourself and I'll give you glory. I'll give you praise. I'll fill you full of worth and value. James 4, 6, he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud. God is opposed to the proud. He fights against the proud. He resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. So let me give you five quick ways uh, to become a humble person. 17, first way, present yourself to Jesus as Lord every morning. You say, you are Lord, you died for me, I owe you everything, I will serve you, I will follow you, I will obey you totally and completely. Uh, you just say it, you are Lord. It's amazing how powerful that is when you say, you are Lord, you are ruler, you are king, I'll follow you, I'll obey you. Say it every morning. And it will, it, it, it'll change you gradually but surely in the direction of being a humble person when you declare Him, God, Master, King, Ruler, Lord of your life. And then ask Him, help me, help me, help me, please. Um, the prayer I pray in the morning is Psalms 36, 11, Let not the foot of pride come upon me. I, I pray it this way, Let not the foot of pride step on my neck. Would you, Father, please help me? Don't let pride overtake my life and run me. <clears throat> Second thing to do, number 18, take advantage of every conflict in your life to examine your life for pride. It's sort of like looking in the mirror and seeing where there's uh, food on the face or whiskers you didn't get. Or look in the mirror and, and look for pride, but use conflict with your wife, with your husband, with your boss, with your neighbor, with your parents, with your kids. Any conflict you have, look at you. Look at you and look for pride. Matthew 7, 3. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your uh, your brother's eye. So I would guess 99.9% .9 of the time when uh, people come to me with conflict in their marriage or in their family, with parents, with kids, and they verbalize to me the issue, the problem, it's his fault. It's her fault. Uh, it's always the other person's fault. Look at you and uh, figure out what you did. 19, we need to confess all pride to God as sin. When you look at your own life and you see pride, confess it to God. Own it. Don't justify it. Don't excuse it. Don't blame it on anybody else. Don't say it's because you got up on the wrong side of the bed or because your wife burnt your toast or because she bosses you around. Own the sin and confess it to God and He will forgive it uh, totally and He will cleanse you from it. That is, He will begin to take it out of your life 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number 20, fourth thing, take initiative to make peace with others, eat dirt. <clears throat> what that means is, and I know you're going to say, that, well, that's not reasonable. It, uh, it works. That is, assume that you're 100% the reason there's conflict. It's your fault. I mean, just pretend. That means you're going to take the initiative, you're going to reconcile, you're going to say, I'm sorry, it was my fault, you're going to eat dirt. 
Now, if you want to put some ketchup on it, go ahead. But it is the best, fastest way to grow, to become a humble person. And God will give you ample opportunities to eat dirt. I mean, we hate it. Why? Well, because we're driven by pride and pursuit of glory, but we do it in the wrong places, and we tend to think that looking good, that's, that's what will fix it. But really, what makes it uh, work is when we look bad, when we take the blame, because then God exalts us and blesses us and gives us glory. You get it from God or you don't get it. And you get it from God totally opposite of what you think. You get it from God by giving it away and by being humble and taking the blame and eating dirt. And then the last thing, pray. Humble people pray, praying people are humble. Now your soul rejects, your flesh fights, resists, but understand if you want to be a humble person, do what humble people do, pray. The very act of praying will develop in you the core of your being, the attitude of humility. And so you just take advantage of opportunities. You just say, okay, 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 okay. He's nagged at me, nagged at me, nagged at me every week. I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray 15 minutes every day. Well, maybe I'll start out with three days a week. But make a commitment, find a place, pick a time, get a notebook, and do it. Uh, and the very act of praying will grow you from the inside out into a humble person like Jesus. And when we have corporate prayer times as a church, don't ignore those. Uh, Look at it as an opportunity to grow in humility and to push pride out of your life. A time when God will give you His glory and give you worth and value that comes from Him to the very core of our being. Uh, it's not difficult to understand, but it is something that our flesh resists at every step. So, determine to grow in humility and be incredibly blessed by God when you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us the free gift of eternal life. You've given us the free gift of living with you forever in glory. So many resist like they did here in this passage. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a pride issue. So much of the time we struggle in our walk and our relationship with you. We're on again, off again. It's not a busyness thing, it's a pride issue. We don't read our Bibles, we don't pray, we have conflict with family, with people that we care about. And Lord, it's not an issue of people doing things, it's an issue of our pride. I pray that we would want very much to conquer that and to walk humbly with our God. Uh, to have the attitude in ourselves which was in you, Lord Jesus. Help us, help us to grow. We love you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.